The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Shapeshifter this evening, Richard McIver, the co-founder of Cash Converters. Been a long time since we caught up with the founder of Cash Converters. You've got your roots, your roots, the company's roots, Richard McIver. Remind us, in Australia, an awfully long time ago, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's the, I suppose, Australia's answer to the American pawn shop. Good evening, Bruce, and good evening to the listeners of 702, and thanks again for the opportunity. Yes, Cash Converters is an international franchise based out of Perth in Western Australia, originated in 1984 in Aussie, built up to about 100 stores in 10 years and then went international. And that's when uh, myself and my partners brought it to uh, South Africa in 1994. In fact, we signed our license agreement with the Aussies on the 1st of April 1994. And you'll recall we had our uh, first democratic election 27 days later. Oh, okay. So happy anniversary then. Uh, the first one was in Paro, in uh, just outside Cape Town, um, and was was that then the catalyst for what is now more probably what a hundred stores across the country? I'm not sure where you are. Mm. So yes, I did uh, open the first store in Paro. Uh, the reason for that was fundamentally I originally come from Cape Town. I grew up in the Cape. I was working in Johannesburg at the time for an IT company, but one of the partners that uh, uh, was together around the table with us had experience in retail. I was a IT jockey, so I didn't, and uh, he lived in Cape Town. So the idea was that uh, I would get the IP from from Aussie. I went and trained there for three months, came back, and he would help in the guidance uh, of that first store. And part of the reason why we opened it in, in Paro was that at the highest density of secondhand dealing stores in the country or in the Western Cape at that point in time. And we figured that if we could uh, open this new concept and uh, effectively take the secondhand dealing idea out of the steam-driven age and uh, projected into the supersonic age into mainstream retailing in that type of environment, we should be successful across the country. That's kind of weird, though, isn't it? I mean, it, was, it seems like, in retrospect, a fairly high-risk strategy. You're taking a concept into an area that's already dominated by established players, players that have got existing relationships with, with regular customers, perhaps. You, you decided to take the, the fight directly to, to the incumbents. Yes, and I think to a large degree we were pretty comfortable that the the way cash converters approaches the business and the objective of what we're trying to achieve effectively would uh, would uh, uh, ensure our success. So it's all focused about uh, the the consumer and providing them with uh, with good quality product uh, with a, in a, in a prof- professional environment uh, with uh, trained staff. And uh, uh, effectively pricing that's around about half of what you'd expect to pay in a new store with a six-month guarantee. So with all of those um, unique selling points to a certain degree within the context of that uh, that industry, we thought we should be successful. And, uh, yeah, we worked pretty hard at it. Uh, and uh, today, yes, as you say, we're just uh, shy of about uh, 100 stores in Southern Africa and uh, – it's been a it's been a fantastic uh, journey. We celebrate our thirtieth birthday next year. How did you do it in terms of going in and challenging the envi- the, the, the the sort of environment as it was? What was wrong in the environment in nineteen ninety four that you sought to address with a newer tech driven business model? Well, I think it was uh, it was a lot of blue sky thinking. If you if you uh, put your your mind back uh, thirty odd years, if, and you considered the word secondhand dealing or the phrase secondhand dealing, I would imagine a lot of people would think of dark and dingy and cluttered yeah. and sometimes dishonest and unpleasant. And uh, 
possibly neither your wife nor mine would, would set foot in that environment. And the concept behind cash converters is to turn that on its head. It's similar to what the uh, second-hand car dealing industry, the professional industry and the, the big, uh, let's call it German brands or, or Japanese brands have done in that part of, uh, of, of second-hand dealing. We took it to the household market, to the uh, anything that anybody had at home, uh, a consumer-driven environment with TVs and hi-fis and jewelry and sporting goods and cameras and binoculars, literally anything that an individual could pick up and bring to us, we would uh, clean and fix if necessary and on-sell to somebody else with that guarantee. Uh, and we, we thought that it made a, a lot of sense in the context of the new South Africa because we figured that we'd have a big swell of consumerism uh, coming into the uh, into the economy, and that was our that was our primary driver at that point in time. But interestingly enough, as we've progressed over the last uh, uh, 10, 20, or 30 years, it's become much more mainstream as an overall concept in the context of the circular economy. So the recycle, repurpose, reuse idea has really become mainstream. When previously we were uh, we were we were considered definitely fringe. Now, uh, how? Does the model work? I am somebody and I've got a bookcase full of books I haven't read in five years. I've got some board games. I've got some old sporting equipment, a bicycle with flat tires, uh, a hi-fi system with a record player attached. I don't know what other stuff that's no longer useful. Um, And I I want to get rid of it. I mean, what do I do? So it's relatively simple. Uh, The concept... uh, fundamentally the concept is that we buy we sell and we loan cash and the idea really is that uh, from a vision point of view is to provide access to cash to anyone anywhere and any time so that's what we're working towards so you might uh, be cleaning out your garage with all that kit you've just mentioned you put it in your car you drive to your local cash converters take it out the cash out your car into the cash converter store transaction should take anywhere from five to 15 minutes uh, you bring your ID book with you and your uh, uh, address details. We capture all of that into our uh, point of sale system uh, and we give you the cash for it. Uh, so it's literally a focus around cash now uh, and the convenience of being able to get rid of those unwanted goods that you no longer need at this point in time. And I think if uh, your, your listeners would probably agree if they're going to the local cash converters, this is not the stuff that you're uh, that you're tripping over in the garage and the broken spade and the and the rusted yeah. wheelbarrow, uh, you know, up to a third of our product these days is technology and digital technology. So cell phones and laptops and and all of that type of stuff, anything with a hard drive and anything with a uh, uh, a, a microchip in it, um, and probably another twenty percent of the tr- product we sell is uh, up to twenty percent is is jewelry as well. So um, it is effectively mainstream if you wanted to go and buy an air fryer which is a very popular kitchen utensil these days you'll find lots of them in a cash converter store um and so it always surprises me in a way that uh why the concept has has taken so long to be adopted as well as it has in the context that uh you're in a professional retail environment with professionally trained staff uh, you're buying product that's literally half the price of new uh with a six-month guarantee mm. Um, and I suppose to a large degree, that just talked to uh, the, the, the circular economy, as I, as I mentioned to you earlier. In fact, myself and my uh, partners were at the Cash Converter International Conference in uh, in Paris last September. And uh, Cash Converters in France have done a JV with Carrefour, which is the largest supermarket chain in, in France, or I think possibly even one of the top biggest ones in the world. 
and they've done a JV with cash converters to put cash converter stores, micro cash converter stores into their car for ah, supermarkets yeah. to talk to that whole circular economy. Um, so yes, it's particularly simple. Bring the stuff down to us. We'll give you cash for it on the spot. Uh, and then we on sell it to somebody who, who needs that item more than you do. How, though, I mean, South Africa's got multiple circular economies. How do you know that I didn't participate in my neighbor's garage and have turned that into my personal circular economy? How do you guarantee the authenticity of ownership when it comes to the delivery of product to your door in a transaction that takes 5 to 15 minutes? That's a good question. Uh, it starts with a basis of the values of the business, and one of our values is integrity and honesty, so we don't buy stolen goods. And then you put practical uh, uh, um, operational procedures in place to to effectively execute on that objective. I think to a large degree in today's world, it's probably easier than it was uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago because it really revolves around the, the technology. So you would uh, uh, come into our store and do that transaction. All of our stores run off a bespoke IT system that we've been building in South Africa specifically for going on seven years now. It's a system in the cloud. It's a single database, a single view of Bruce Whitfield who transacts in any one of our stores, and we we effectively can follow those transactions that you do. Uh, we photograph head and shoulders. We take a fingerprint of you. We get your address details, uh, and each and every item that you sell to us is logged against a specific serial number in our system. And then that tracks what you're selling to us. Um, we also train our staff members uh, very well on trying to identify and making sure that you are selling your kit and not your next door neighbors. Um, but effectively, if we do find post that event that uh, the kit was not belonging to you, uh, we can really just uh, uh, switch you off uh, and uh, not allow you to transact with us uh, into the future. That's the, you, that's the final censure. That we have. Do you have a legal obligation to report that transaction to the police? Have you done so in the past? Has it been effective as a deterrent? We work extremely closely with SAPS. SAPS are the uh, uh, authority that manage what's called the Second Hand Goods Act. And yes, we do. They have access to all of our registers 24-7. Um, we provide them with information uh, on a regular basis. And really what we find is that uh, there, there are kind of two classifications of, uh, of folk that are going to sell us stuff that doesn't belong to them. First of all, the professionals, and they may well come in when we've opened a new store in a community and don't understand us. We'll knock them back on a regular basis and they will go away and that will be the end of it. Uh, and then the, uh, the young males from about 18 to let's call it 26 or somewhere around there who might be in short uh, supply of some cash for a weekend's partying they might uh, bring along something that belongs to their mother. Uh, and then we deal with the family on that basis and re- repatriate the goods to them. Do you buy anything? I mean, if, 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 and, and you, it's about, I'm wondering how you stop yourself from being a repository for other people's junk. Um, you know, <laughs> a deceased estate, for example, you may have um, the family going into a place and going, my goodness me, my parents have hoarded stuff for the last 60 years. They're no longer here. We've taken the painting we liked off the wall. And we want to sell this property, but we can't sell it with all this stuff in it. Would you send a truck around to collect all of the stuff, or does it have to be delivered yeah. to your front door? So, Bruce, our mission statement really is is to be the first and best choice for our customers' short-term cash needs. So, so in that context, we provide a range of different abilities for people to 
to uh, uh, generate cash from us. So the first way of doing it is selling us their goods. And now we have a mantra in our business that says we do all the business all the time. So you can bring me literally anything that fits within the context of a household product and we will buy it. Uh, if it is high value to us, we will pay you lots of money. And if it is le- re- relatively less value, we'll pay you a lot less for it. And in that way, it's really a trading business. The market decides what the product's going to sell for. So um, we we effectively do buy everything all the time. It doesn't necessarily mean that we we sell what we've bought from you. And there's a nuance of uh, in our business in this context in that what tends to happen is that uh, people bring us kit to sell to us that they see in our retail store. So I'll tell you a funny story. When I started that first store in Paro way back in 94, I took the philosophy of buy everything all the time from the Aussies and implemented it just like that. One day, a lady walked in and sold me her wedding dress. And uh, I know nothing about wedding dresses. Long story short, we bought the wedding dress. I put it out in the retail store. And I looked uh, again in a month's time, and I had 25 wedding dresses, none of which had <laughs> sold. <laughs> no, and, 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 and how, because you are franchisees. I mean, you, and I'm sure there's lots of training and stuff, but I mean, the franchisees will know, um, I don't know, a brand name, a Dell computer, Dell laptop, five years old, uh, one user is probably worth, you know, you'll probably get 1500 rand for it second hand. So you might give somebody, I don't know, 750 rand for it. That much is easy, but you, you know, you bring, I don't know, an obsolete camera and a laptop that's had a fair amount of wear and you give six-month guarantees on the stuff that you sell. I, I wonder how with training and with the uncertainties of technology and, the, and how tempestuous technology can be, you manage to weed out the good from the average from the bad because there must be lots of junk that get, does get dropped off. Absolutely. I think I think a lot of it gets answered through uh, uh, through the march to digitization, first of all, information. So information is key here. So on that uh, uh, database that I mentioned in our, in our bespoke point of sale system, every item we purchase is logged against a purchase price. We know exactly what's happened to that item for the period of time we've owned it, uh, whether it's been repaired or, or whatever. We know who we sell it to. And as a consequence, we know what we purchased it for. We know what we, what we sold it for. And that gives us a, a very rich data set that allows us to indicate to our buyers. And, you know, we, we are a, a franchise operation. We've got about 1500 staff out there. So 350 to 450 people are buying in these stores regularly on a daily basis. It gives them the information to uh, answer that question that, that, uh, how much can we pay for this item? Then when you talk to technology, it's been a really uh, uh, interesting ride for us because, again, if you're trying to teach 350 people the difference between a, a Dell laptop and an Apple self uh, iPhone and, a, and uh, all the new TLAs and the new technology and USB ports and this, that, and the next thing, you, you literally you can't keep up with it. So what we've done on the backbone of our wide area network is we've implemented a technology that actually analyzes the tech, the tech that comes into our store. And uh, the buyer would just uh, effectively plug the item into a cable. And from a head office perspective, we'd run a diagnostic on it. And uh, within five minutes, we know what's in there, whether it's working or not. And then we reference that against the purchase price and the selling price of the previous product. And, uh, and we've then answered the question, does it work or not? And what should we pay for it? So it really, it, it talks to the, the digitization of the world from, from the time of Paro 
when we ran the business mm. with uh, triplicate invoice books and blue carbon paper and a big pen, it's now a completely different thing. Uh, thank goodness, because I'm sure it's a, a heck of a lot more efficient. And you can also then better assess the big trends, I suppose, the big glow, the, the big national trends as to what is in and what is out. I do recall with a, a great deal of uh, um, surprise, um, the, the main item I noticed on your shelves, and that was in those days, and I'm sure they're still there because I don't know if anybody who buys these things, foot spas, these weird things that people are given for whatever reason that you supposedly sit to soften your feet or whatever it is. Um, and people then slip them under their beds, forget about them for five years, and then bring them over to you and sell them. You said that, you know, air fryers, which are a very practical and useful thing, are um, certainly one of the, your, your top sellers of the moment. But those those dreadful foot spas, you still got hundreds of those things? Yes, we still trade in them, and believe it or not, we uh, we buy them and we sell them on a regular basis, including the uh, the gym equipment that also gets uh, bought and sold on oh, yeah. uh, on sure. uh, shows and the like. So, uh, the interesting thing that we found is that you can buy and sell literally anything. It has to do with how well you present it and the price. And there's a buyer for for literally anything that that uh, somebody has dreamt up and made. Exercise equipment must be yet yet another big uh, biggie. It's a, sort of that's probably a February best uh, uh, sort of as people go in from January. They come in with their New Year's resolutions, buy the stuff, and then give it to you in sort of February March. Going that was a terrible idea. What are the, the what are the big sellers at, at, in in your stores at the moment in terms of uh, the stuff that people are looking for? I mean, you say tech. I'm sure you know, any bit of second hand technology that's got a bit of a lifespan ahead of it is something that'd be in in big demand. Yes, absolutely. So cell phones and tablets, uh, computers, computer peripherals, game, gaming is very popular. Uh, a home and garden uh, kit, lawnmowers, of course, uh, generators in today's world. We can't keep in our floor for longer than half a day. And in fact, I'm talking to you from my office at home in Johannesburg, being powered by my 5 kVA generator because our friends at ESCOM have switched us off at the moment. Of course. So that's a, that's a, a high demand product. Uh, jewelry, watches, and fashion equipment, photography, tools, TV, audio, video. In fact, if you, if you have a look at our website, you'll, you'll see a very successful implementation of a web shop that was driven really by uh, the necessity of COVID in 2020. We'd, uh, uh we planned to sort of, uh, launch our, uh, our digital web shop in 22. And as we went into COVID, we realized that we needed to speed that up. And, uh, and that's been running now for uh, probably two plus years. I think we might be in our third year and it's becoming really successful. We're doing some significant sales of it and providing people with access to the cash converter product set uh, in geographies that we don't have bricks and mortar. Are you a business that does better in stronger, weak economies? In, in, in strong economies, people are, are trading up and so they're getting rid of old stuff and perhaps you benefit hugely then. Or do you benefit more in tough economies when people are trading down and looking for deals? Another good question. The reality is that we're a relative uh, uh, industry. So we're relative to new and what's going on in the new world. But definitely when things are turning down and there's a shortage of cash and interest rates are going up and uh, um, the CPI is going up and everything's going up besides one's salary, uh, it does push the wind behind us. So uh, I would like to think that we are getting better and better at doing what we do. Uh, but the reality is 
Our retail business uh, came off the best month we've ever had last month. Our money lending business continues to increase year on year, clearly besides uh, 2020 where everything closed for a year. Um, but yes, I think what it does is it talks to the fact that that we talk to the ability to financially include people that may not have been able to raise cash otherwise and uh, effectively the whole circular economy that allows the uh, the duration of the lifespan of an item to to be repurposed or reused or recycled uh, and uh, people getting a hundred cents in the rands worth of value for 50 cents cost. Do you do pawn shop style lending? So if I've got a, a nice watch, for example, and I'm short of a couple of grand, I can sort of deposit it with you for an agreed time a month. Um, you then charge me interest on and I get my watch back if I pay you back. If not, you keep the watch and you can on sell it. Or is it purely a, a micro lending business alongside a, a purchasing business? So, Bruce, there are three ways that you can uh, generate cash from us effectively selling what we've been discussing now. Secondly, raising it against a, a pawn product, as you've described very well, by the way. Uh, it's secured money lending. And then the third way that you can raise cash from us is unsecured money lending, the traditional sort of micro lending uh, market, much like uh, Capitec would do on FNB or anybody like that. The money lending business versus the second-hand goods business, is it uh, more dominant? So we added the money lending business in around 2007. You may recall the National Credit Act came into being yeah. at that time. Uh, we were purely retailers of secondhand goods up until then. And we started out with the secured money lending because that's effectively where Cash Converters International's home base is. And we added the unsecured in around about 2010, 2012, somewhere around there. Um, and part of the rationale for it from a consumer's point of view was we wanted to provide people with a basket of different ways to raise cash because that's our business to provide people with access to cash. And then secondly, from a franchisee point of view, we wanted additional income streams for our franchisees of the same cost space. So what has transpired over the period of the last 10 odd years is we've gone from purely being a retailer to a retailer and a money lender. And today we would probably see anywhere up to 40, possibly 50% of the income of the individual franchisees being generated from the money lending business. Sure. Amazing growth. Thank you very much for sharing this evening, Richard McIver, co-founder of Cash Converters.